This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com. Of course, On The Grid is powered by the racetalk.com. What a fantastic place to go and check out everything you need to know in regards to the world of supercars and motor racing right here in Australia. And don't forget the power ratings on uh, theracetalk.com as well. Some interesting uh, who's hot and who's not type of stuff happening there. Go and have a read right now. Joining us in just a tick, we'll catch up with Dale Rogers. Got a few questions to ask him in regards to uh, what's happening in the world of supercars and also Formula One. Interesting news, McLaren saying that they're uh, pretty happy to pull out of Formula One unless things change cost-wise. Also joining us, the team principal for Brad Jones Racing. We'll have a chat to him up in Albury. Brad Jones set to join us in just a few minutes' time. All that to come right here on The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com. Dale Rogers joins us on the line to talk about all things supercars and also some F1 news as well too. Good day to you, Dale. Hey, Tony. How are you? I'm fantastic, thank you, mate. I'm fantastic. I'm just, I'm a little bit confused actually. My head's sort of spinning. There's so much happening off the track in supercars at the moment that you really need to be an engineer, an aeronautical engineer, to understand what's happening. I think Tony also need the rule book, and uh, I'm sure there'll be some team managers. Uh, Rereading operations manuals and making sure they've changed uh, the right points and things because, uh, as you say, there are a lot of things going on. Well, let's uh, let's knock a couple of them off the head, and I'll, I'll get your thoughts and <laughs> your understanding of them. We'll kick it off with the centre of gravity rule at the moment. Now, the the, the complaint, I suppose, came from Holden in regards to, you know, and not an official complaint as such, but there's been talk about, you know, the Mustang being so dominant in the first couple of races and they've looked at different things and they've decided that maybe the centre of gravity is giving it a massive advantage more so than what they thought. So tell us how that happens and what happens to bring it back to a sort of parity situation. Well, Tony, my understanding of it is, is that both the ZB Commodore and the, the new Mustang uh, were two of the the supercars built under the um, Car of the Future chassis that have come in well underweight. Um, traditionally, I think most cars had to go on a diet. Um, if you look back at uh, various uh, models of Commodore, uh, the Altima, and also the FG and FGX versions, but both these cars arrived underweight. Um, certainly, the ZB Commodore in Adelaide in 2018, uh, it was largely pointed to the fact that it was a full composite uh, panel um uh, body, which certainly saved some weight, and then of course the other teams got the concession to move to to those uh, panels as well. So, Doug, just, just on that, if you can just explain underweight, underweight according to what a supercar is meant to weigh, or what a yeah, normal car well, is meant to weigh. Un- underweight, underweight when built, effectively. So, what what it means is that the team then has the ability to bring the car up to weight by placing ballast at okay. certain points in the car. So, where where cars. Some, you know, if you go well back in time, cars were all sometimes overweight. Um, the, the beauty of these two development chassis that have been developed cars that have been built is that once they hit the scales with engine and everything in, in them, they were underweight. So what it means is to bring them up to weight, the teams can use ballast, effectively lead ballast, to get the car to where they want it to be. But it's not a matter of placing it uh, in a certain position because there's been no mandate to position it in, in certain positions of the car. So you can use 
the weight um, to the advantage of the designer to effectively what they call lower the centre of gravity, which means get the weight down very low in the car mm-hmm. and, and in certain areas, perhaps in the centre, to just give it better weight distribution than them saying, if you're 50 kilos underweight, you've got to put 50 kilos in this position. It gave the designers the ability to put their weight exactly where they wanted. Okay. So the Commodore um, definitely uh, got it, and not just through the body. I'm sure that the, the 888 built that first ZB Commodore very effectively as well. But the might of the Ford Performance Empire behind this Mustang is probably the most sophisticated supercar we've ever seen. And in turn, uh, I'd suggest that they probably have a little bit more weight to play with before they brought it up to, I think it's a 1395 kilogram um, mandatory weight. So from a design and an engineering point of view, a, a real, real advantage in, the, in getting the balance of the car right. And as a result, you gain some sort of advantage on the track in regards well, to how the car performs? Yes. Yeah, I mean, you do because your car is inherently better balanced. So I, I think that there is, and, and I think that, that I, I, no one's talking numbers, but we, we've heard uh, Pitt scuttle about, up to about 50, 50 plus kilograms. Now, that's, that's putting another small passenger in the car, yeah. really. So it's, it's, it's a substantial amount of weight. Now, I think the, 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 the fuse was lit, if you will, Tony, by the fact that Ford, um, or DJR Team Penske anyway, had used some some ballast weight in what we believe was a heavy a heavier muffler system in the FGX. And um, in reading the rules, and I'm not an engineer, I'm only trying to interpret what I'm reading, is that there, there is some consternation that the weight must be inside the chassis, where it could be argued that the muffler, in effect, is outside the chassis, okay. if you understand how that would work. And I think that's that sort of brought the point of contention on. But when we are now in very, very finite um, measurements, I guess it's an area that's been left alone because it hasn't necessarily been uh, a thing that, 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 that supercars had to get their head around. But now with their top two contenders playing in this arena mm. and the Mustang certainly bouncing out well, I guess what they're trying to do is to, is to always bring it back to some degree of parity and some degree of... Um, of North, across the, across all the makes now, ten cars were taken from Albert Park to to Kelly's, um, and supercars have conducted various measurement tests on those. And I guess what will happen, and Adrian Burgess was was running those tests with his department, uh, that we will see uh, a, a rule or a modification through the commission coming out to say this is how we are going to address uh, COG issues in the future. Oh, and we expect that would come out in the next few weeks, wouldn't we? Sooner rather than later, so. I would have thought. Yeah, I would think so, Tony. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. All right, well, let's leave that one aside. The next one is a really interesting one that supercars have brought in, and I, I, I really am struggling to understand this one. It's uh, the in- introduction of a, a sort of a, a really strict part Ferme from qualifying up to the first race. Now, effectively, for those that don't know, Park Ferme means that a car cannot be touched by anyone when it's in Park Ferme, only by the stewards who uh, get the opportunity to, or the, the uh, race technicians, I suppose, get an opportunity to go over the car. They get to check it all. They get to check it for weight. They get to check it for parts and, and all that sort of stuff. That's why it's in Park Ferme. What supercars are doing, and it's starting in Tasmania, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they're extending Park Ferme from the end of qualifying for all cars right through to the start of race one, which means that teams will not be able to work on their car in the three or four hours that actually precedes qualifying leading up to the first race on the Saturday. Yeah, so in essence, that's correct. What they've adopted effectively is the Formula One model. 
Um, and I think they're trialling this at Simmons Plains uh, and I believe also at QR uh, because they're the two qualifying sessions that will have this knockout um, system uh, similar to F1 where all cars start, then then I think six will go, and et cetera, et cetera, yep. so you get down to the 10. Um, so it makes sense if you're going to do something to do it on that type of thing. But the, the, the last report I read was that certainly there was the, the decision to be made as to whether it's the top 10 um, or the whole thing is still a question mark. Um, but what it does mean, you're absolutely right, is, is the cars go to a park to MA curfew um, and, and then stay there. But what normally happens in F1 is the cars are released at, a, at an agreed time or a nominated time by the stewards. And at that point in time, obviously, you know, there the, the, the can be work performed on the car you know, if there's damage to the car, perhaps if the front bar. So, so there, is, there is some work that can be done. Yeah. But effectively what it's doing is saying that the um, uh, that it, it will limit the, the the changes and perhaps things like fuel load, tyres, suspension setups, engine mapping, aero settings, all those things will be as you qualify, where normally you'd have the ability to, to, to change those around. Um, I actually think it's, it's interesting. I, I think... Um, I do. I do like the knockout qualifying uh, idea. I thought it worked quite well last year, and this could be a, a, another a good thing to perhaps just mix it good up a bit. Um, I think it's worth a try. I think you know we, we keep talking about the entertainment business. If this is something that that, that you know flavours the grid a bit, or puts someone in a position where perhaps they they didn't perform well in qualifying and and, and you know normally would be able to adjust their way back into it, I, I think it's you know it's worth a try. And I, I think it's. Uh, um, it's really it's something that, that spices it up a bit, and uh, we may see some results uh, or some unexpected results come out of a part of it. Looking forward to getting the thoughts of Brad Jones from Brad Jones Racing shortly. He'll join us in just a few minutes' time uh, to have a chat about this. Dale, before we get Brad on, though, there was a Formula One uh, question I wanted to ask you too, and it's something that's just come up in the last day or so, and it's in regards to, well, I suppose teams being upset about the, the cost of Formula One, and McLaren have got to the stage where... They're now saying, and they're following the lead of what Red Bull have sort of been thrown out there for a couple of years, and even Ferrari, I think, in, in recent future as well. If things don't change, they're gone. Yeah, Tony, they've all had a crack at it, haven't they? They've all they've all beaten the stick. Um, I think that the the issue is is that Liberty Media uh, have made some overarching statements about what they need to do, which is which is correct because they are the owners. But in their two years to date, they've been very short on detail. And one of the things that's obviously come up is this cost capping exercise and the figure of $150 million per race team has been uh, floated once again. And I think you'll find back in Eccleston's days it was the same figure and the same arguments have come up. So here we go again. McLaren has said, you're kidding me. You know, if, if, if we play in that zone, we're out. Red Bull will, will no doubt do the same thing. But the interesting thing is, Tony, that the, the 2018 uh, financial returns were available in England uh, in about November, December last year. And it showed that Mercedes spent over $330 million, um, oh, in one year. Red Bull spent nearly $230 million. So for these teams to be told that we're going to piggyback back to $150 million to make it equitable for Racing Point and for Williams and the others is nonsensical because a, a, a budget cap will not work. But it also, I think it points more to the fact that Liberty, in my opinion, are struggling to really articulate their strategy. They're, they're clutching at straws. This is not new. But salary caps or budget capping or salary capping, call it what you will, is not new in Formula 1. Mm. And yet it's never been able to get off the ground. And, and not surprisingly, McLaren bit straight away. Um, 
you know, Ferrari would be the same. Ferrari would be spending more. Also, they're talking about how the pie gets cut up. Um, and there is, under Bernie's law, there has been um, huge amounts of, of disparity about who gets what. And Liberty have said, well, it should be a more even playing field to bring the middle teams on. But, but even they had to admit that Ferrari automatically get a $40 million bonus no matter what happens. So, again, you know, to me, their management... It doesn't have the iron fist that Bernie had, and I'm not suggesting that Bernie got all these things right, but he actually banged the table, and in most cases, the, the 10 or 11 team owners followed along. Not only is the dissent now from uh, some of the teams, there's dissent from the promoters, um, where it's found out that new deals at Liberty are writing are better than the deals that Bernie gave. Uh-huh. So if you're an existing promoter, you say, hang on a sec, I, you know, if Vietnam are getting a, a joint venture or... Miami might be getting a joint venture on a new race. Why am I paying full tote? Yeah. So to me, it's, it's, it stems back to the source that Liberty are struggling to get control from a, um, from, a, from a leadership point of view, and they're also struggling to put ideas on the table that are really going to move the formula forward. And I think that they're the two big things. And, you know, McLaren, as I said, bit. If, if they hadn't have bitten on this one, Red Bull would have bitten and Ferrari would have just said, well, we're out as well. So they're, they're going to be faced with these constant um, threats until they can actually put a blueprint on the table, not only for 2021, but, but you know, for the, for the broader future. All right, there you go. Dale Rogers explains a few things that are happening in the world of motor racing at the moment. Let's get the thoughts also of a man who is enjoying a pretty special time in supercars at the moment with his team, Brad Jones Racing, and his two drivers... As we say, good day to Brad Jones. Good day, Brad. How are you? Hello, I'm going great, thank you. Fantastic, and so you should be too. What a fantastic start to season 2019 for Brad Jones Racing, and uh, some really great work by Tim Slade, Nick Perkat, and the teams have uh, got you guys looking pretty good. I think lying fourth currently in the team standings. Yeah, look, uh, you know, it's been a fantastic start to the year for us. I mean, we're only two races in, so there's still a lot of water to pass under the bridge, but. Um, Pretty happy with the way it's going so far. Brad, um, Tim Slade has uh, said after the Grand Prix that he, he thought that the, the change back to linear spring, spring for the whole field may have advantaged you a little bit, or not advantaged you, but certainly perhaps not been uh, to the same effect that, that it may in other teams. Do you think it has been a leveller uh, for the grid in, in the way it's been rolled out? Uh, I think it's probably changed the performance of some of the teams more than um, certainly more than I would have thought when, when all this was being discussed at the end of last year. So uh, uh, is it a level? Eight? Yeah, I, I think it has, it has, because it has quite an impact on, on drive off the corner. So, but it's, it certainly had more of a, I think it's had more of an impact than I expected. That impact, Brad, uh, has that been more so for the teams that have gone away from Linear Springs for quite a long time? Do you believe that that impact is happening for them in regards to they're still trying to get their head around what the new package is? And do you think a team like Triple Eight, who probably has been one of those teams that has suffered a bit, will work it out sooner rather than later and we're not going to see them languishing where they are? Um, well, I think, uh, I think, I think for what has really made it... Well, it's, only, it's it's difficult. Trap springs help the cars drive off the corner. Triple um, A ran them on the front and rear and had a really good understanding of how they all worked. So a lot of teams, you know, BJR is an example. We we ran them in the back and rarely ran them in the front. Somewhere like um, 
AGP last year, we ran them all around. So I just think it's not so much understanding how linear spring works, but the trap springs were introduced for a reason. They obviously help drive. Otherwise, we all spend a lot of money for nothing. So I think that, um, you know, they are, but, but the impact on different teams has been varying. And, and for whatever reason, uh, it didn't make a big difference to us. Brad, the season, uh, the way it's kicked off, you, you, you still run a, a very, very large program, which uh, when you look at your Super 2 and Super 3 uh, commitments, um, and also from a commercial point of view to run those things, it, it, it must be a constant, not necessarily a battle, but a constant, I think, to get these, these cars to the grid. You certainly field more cars than any other team in the in the pit line. Yeah. Um, not really by choice. It's, it's a necessary... Um, requirement to to you know keep keep the whole thing ticking along. So um, it's you know we've got a couple of Super Three cars that we're running this year. Last year we we ran a limited program with one, and I've got I'm pretty excited about the drivers we've got in those. Um, our Super Two program dropped back to one car with Jack, and then we're doing a wild card for him. His first event will be. Tasmania, which is pretty exciting. We did some of those with Macaulay last year, and I, mm. I feel like that's a really important part of a stepping stone. So, yeah, we do run a lot of cars, and um, and sometimes it is difficult. Finding people, getting the whole thing to work properly is hard. Just back to the uh, to, to the main scene, um, you've got you've had some great stability not only with your personnel but also with drivers. Once that 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 runs over a couple of seasons. Do you think that brings a lot of benefits to the team where you've got such a, 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 an in-depth knowledge of how everyone's working together? Uh, I mean, stability is a, a really important part of... of it's, a, it's an important platform in your business, but ultimately things move around a little bit and you can't change it too much. So I think, I think um, if you're talking about drivers and engineers, I think if you lose both of those at the same time, it's really difficult. But I think if you lose one or another, it's almost manageable. It depends on the skill level, obviously, the guy. So um, we have had stability here for a while, you know, since Fabian and Phil left. So on that side of things, it's, you know, I'm pretty happy with it. But you're continually looking for improvement and gain. And so, you know, you end up moving people around and trying different things. And, you know, so you need to – it's a, you know, dog-eat-dog industry. And so you need to continually be – innovating and getting on the front foot and performing. And, and Brad, in regards to the extended program that you guys are running at the moment, do you uh, run that as a uh, an opportunity to have your own sort of development type uh, happening in the background of, of younger drivers working their way into the system, hopefully working their way into the main game for Brad Jones racing down the track? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we started off with our Super 2 program and I think you know, if you have a look at the two that we have driving our Super 3 program, Josh Fife's been a, you know, KZ champion in go-karts and raced in Europe. And I think he's really, really talented. And, and Madeline Stewart is um, the only only female to win a, a round of Rotax Light in Australia ever. So I think she's very talented as well. So, you know, I'd like to think that they will move up with us through Super 2 and into the main game. And the same with with Jack Smith, I feel like he's been with us a couple of years. The reason he's doing wild cards this year is to, to you know, check how deep the water is. I mean, anytime someone 
jumps into PCS, they find out that it's very, very difficult. And, and um, you know, hopefully he will grow with us and, and, um, and go into the main game. I think there's no doubt that uh, supercars need to be congratulated for the, uh, the way that they do do their wildcard rounds throughout the year, and that's happened over the last couple of years now. And the opportunity, not only just for, the, uh, for those younger guys to step into the main game to get a feel for what it's like, but also a, fan for the, uh, a chance for the fans to actually see what they can do as well. Well, you know, I think it's a it's a really really good opportunity for the young guys to to get in amongst the regulars at sprint rounds and and um, you know the commission's done a really good job in deciding to allow that because what used to happen was they roll up, jump in the car in the enduros, but the intensity of the sprint round mm. as opposed to an enduro round is very very different. And you know, when I talked to Macker about the four races that he did. Um, he talks about how just how hard they race, as opposed to you know first first time you jump in the car at Sandown or Bathurst, the intensity is not the same. So um, it's been a really great initiative, and it's really helped a lot of a lot of the young guys taste test it, and and uh, hopefully it'll go on for a fair while. The relationship with uh, with Tim Blanchard and the Cool Drive entry. Um, it's not only been good when Tim was driving the car, but obviously has given you a fantastic avenue now to, to put Macca in the main game. Um, obviously, Adelaide was a, a, a massive one, but are you, are you, is that relationship all working well? Obviously, you've now got Tim in the garage with headphones on, but it seems to be a very happy garage with the Blanchard entry in there. Yeah, look, and, and being a rookie is always tough. You know, there was four or five of them last year that went through it, and, you know, there's two of them this year, but it's it's... You know, it's very difficult and, um, and we have a great relationship with the blue cards and, you know, I'm grateful that Mac has got this opportunity. And for me, with most, as with most of the rookies, it's, it's really a three year program to work out if they're, um, where they are and if they're up to it. And it just, it just takes a long time. So, um, having, having the ability to put Macca in that car, you know, he's worked pretty hard over the years and, and, um, you know, the people behind him. The sponsors that have helped him have really made a difference, and he's you know very grateful as I am for the opportunity. Brad, uh, only uh, ten minutes or so ago, Dale tried to explain to me a couple of uh, things that are being looked at at supercars level at the moment. One being centre of gravity, and uh, the other one being this new Park Fermi that we'll see down in Tasmania. I, I tell you, he did a good job. But I'm just wondering whether you might be able to shed a little bit more light on it for us because it, it does seem to be confusing for the punter out there. And we'll, we'll quickly address both of them at, uh, at separate times. First of all, the, the centre of gravity, do you think that that's going to cause a, a, a sort of a levelling of the playing field between where the Mustang, obviously, which seems to be so uh, dominant at the moment, and where the Commodore is at also? Um, no, I don't really. I think... I think if you may, you know, if you thought it was like a look at it as a hundred percent difference between one manufacturer and the other, I think center of gravity might contribute a twenty percent of that, and I think the balance of that is zero. So, so what they're trying to do is the center of gravity is that mystical point within a car where all the weight is when you're going around a corner, and the lower it is, the better the car handles on a fast sweeping corner. So the idea is you get it as low as you possibly can, and there's a mathematical equation you can you can you know if you're an engineer you can work out and get a bit of a feel for how many tenths of a second a lower semi lower centre of gravity will help you get around the track. So I think that 
I think that it's something, and and uh, but what it is, um, I mean, I guess we'll find out in time. And the other one, of course, is the that pub- oh, that, well, yes, yeah, sort of. You're close, Dale. I reckon. You, you, I wasn't, you, I wasn't no, too sorry. Sorry. Here's, here's the here's the tricky part. If you look at the Nissan, the Commodore, the Falcon, the Volvo, the Mercedes, they're all cars that have the um, integrity from the standard item still in it when it's a race car. So a standard bonnet will fit on a Commodore, a Falcon, you know. And and what's happened is um, supercars, by introducing two-door cars onto their current platform, and now with Composite being the way it is, that's all changed. So yeah. to make this car fit onto this platform, they've they've redesigned the whole thing. So none of the standard parts fit on it. So then it's up to supercars to to try and work out where it sits performance wise because we run a parity category. So supercars just need to work out how to make it even. Okay. And and that's what all the toing and froing is going on about at the moment. So um, this was the problem with the ZB Commodore at the start of last year, and after the first race, they put lightweight bonnets, roofs, boots on the Falcons and the Nissans. So now they're just trying to work through it to find out what they need to do to even up the competition a little bit. And when you think about it, it's it's so unique because um, the cars that we get are you know road going cars that we modify to to fit within the rules. This one's really been designed by the ground up by the manufacturer, and they've done an amazing job with it. But it's, you know, I would suggest it's probably a little bit too good at the moment. Mm. Well, it definitely seems that at the moment. I'm sure they'll uh, come back to yeah. the field eventually. And and no one's trying to novel them so they don't win. They're just trying to make it even. So yeah. um, happened with the ZB last year. You know, it, it happens from time to time. But if you think about how difficult it would be to have that car designed, do one aero test. It's the first time I've ever had a two-door car on that platform. The chances of it being perfect the very first time out are probably pretty low. So, you know, that's why they're looking at centre of gravity. You know, I think they probably need to look at some of the aero stuff. It's got a very different front front splitter to what the what was on the Falcon mm. or the Commodore or the Nissan. So there's, there's things that you look at and you wonder how that got through. But at the end of the day, it's up to them to balance it up. And the other thing then, Brad, is obviously if we look forward to two weeks' time, the new Park Ferme situation for Tasmania. And the uh, I don't believe it's been finalised as yet, but the understanding is is that there will be cars, whether they be the top ten or whether it be the entire field, that won't effectively be allowed to be changed from their qualifying setup through to race one. Can you shed some light on that for us? Um, well, be, none of the cars will be allowed to be changed. Okay. So once the race is over, the cars put in the garage, they've they give you a list of things that you can change and really other than, you know, checking the oil and the water and running a chamois over it and a couple of minor things like dry ice in the cool box and fuel, um, you won't be able to do much to the car at all. So you certainly won't be able to have a qualifying setup and then come in and change it all over and put a race setup. So what you qualify with is pretty much what you're going to race with, I think anyway, reading the rules and why I have. An advantage, a disadvantage, like it, don't like it? Um, well, it's Tim Edwards' idea if it doesn't work, so <laughs> <laughs> just putting it out there. No, that's fine. Um, so, I don't know. We'll wait and see. I mean, you know, it, I don't know. I mean, we're going to try it at a couple of races this year. 
you know, the commission always looking at different ideas to try and save money and take load off people and do all those sorts of things. So um, it'll feel a bit weird on Saturday night when you go home uh, because you can't really do anything to the car. Well, Friday night will be the same, I guess, mm. um, to a lesser extent. So uh, you get as much done as you can, but once once qualifying's over, you won't get much done at all. Well, what about damage, Brad? If if if, if you do incur damage, say in a qualifying run, or like, there must be some dispensation. Yeah, there is. Yeah, it's not about not having cars running around the racetrack. So yeah. you do your qualifying. And then what will happen is you um, uh, you can do the work yeah, um, yep. if you smash the thing up. So, you know, I, th- this is the first time we're having a run at this. So one thing's for sure, between qualifying race, everyone will have time to get lunch. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly right. Brad, we really do thank you for your time today. Uh, congratulations on the way 2019 has kicked off, and we all hope that you can continue it forward through uh, out the remainder of the season and uh, be I was going to say punching above your weight. Is that fair? I hate that term. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you know, we have 47 people who work here at PJR, and we, we we work pretty hard. But what you, I understand what you're saying, and when you compare the budget that we have, uh, exactly, like that's that's worth it. Yeah. or Penske have, you know, we um, we are performing really well, and so you know, like you, I hope that continues on. We're working pretty hard to make sure that happens, and, and um, we just you know. I wouldn't say I'm a glass half full or half empty. Mine's just like in the middle. So, you know, I'm hoping we're going to go to two very different circuits now. So my target's obviously to be the fastest Commodore So and beat as many many Mustangs as we can. Well, let's see how that goes over the next uh, few months, including Tasmania in just a couple of weeks' time. Brad, thanks for your time. Really do appreciate it. Absolutely. No trouble, fellas. Thanks. Well, there you go, Dale. That was uh, a pretty interesting summary of uh, where Brad Jones Racing is at. It's been an amazing season for him, hasn't it? And let's really, we sincerely hope it does continue. Well, I mean, two very, very different tracks, and oftentimes the teams perhaps just under bubbling a bit, normally nail it at one track, but won't at the second track. But to to, to have their cars on the pace in in Adelaide and Phillip Island, I think is a great start for BJR, and uh, uh, you know, hopefully it can continue because uh, when you look at uh, uh, you know, Erebus uh, sort of not quite where they were last year. Mm. Walken Shaw a little bit off the boil. I think to have that this team emerging is a really good thing. Yeah, it certainly is. Mate, thank you for your time today. Really do appreciate it as well. Pleasure, Tony. Dal Rogers also joining us here on the grid. up another episode of On The Grid. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We'll be in full race mode next week as we preview what should be a fantastic program the weekend after down at Tasmania. Richard Crowell will rejoin us next week for that chat and we'll also have a chat to Braxy as well, find out what's happening in the world of motorbikes also. We'll catch you next week right here on The Grid with thanks to theracetalk.com. They're powered by theracetalk.com right here on mypodcasthouse.com.